1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. That's right. There's a few more days remaining in the month of January, so make sure you download the KDOS 1060 app. Key component is to make sure you're registered so we know who you are as you can potentially get yourself eligible for some sixth-row hoops tickets in downtown Phoenix, food and beverage included a pretty sweet prize eligible with the KDOS 1060 app now through the end of January. It is the extra point though right here on this Wednesday January 17th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today. Let's set the scene here with today's poll questions, and we'll do that with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Bob had a conversation in the Sports Zone, longtime Sports Zone guest Matt Derrick, ChiefsDigest.com, talking all things Kansas City Chiefs in relation to our poll question today. Do you believe the Chiefs flipped the postseason switch, starting with the win over the Dolphins? Yes or no? And yes, out in front, 55% of the vote, no trailing at 45%. Hmm. Okay, that's pretty hotly contested, I would say. Uh, so we'll see. Um, you know, the case can be made for both sides. I don't think the Chiefs were in much danger of losing that game on Saturday at Arrowhead on the frozen tundra, if there's such a thing of Arrowhead. I mean, it was, you know, they have the, Kaylee Hartung did a nice little feature about how they have the, uh, the, 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 the field is heated from underneath and so forth, and it wasn't completely frozen except in a couple of places and so forth. But uh, anyway, that was uh, you know, to their advantage, and, uh, you know, the Dolphins uh, weren't quite ready for that. It, uh, that's, uh, you know, that's uh, case for and against that, you know, maybe they're just good enough to just flip the switch, or maybe they didn't have much of a, you know, really uh, – uh, competition to determine whether they have flipped the switch. Yeah, I think that's fair, and we can dive into that when we discuss the teams that have exited in the wild card round, and more specifically with the Dolphins, and kind of looking at what occurred for them this season when they faced opponents that were quote unquote more physical. Uh, so maybe that kind of just played into the nature of. Uh, you know, the, the one, the weather elements, you can have a conversation there about Tua's arm strength and how Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, seems to also elevate his game to a whole other level when he gets into the playoffs, which is hard to imagine. Well, he has in his career for sure. I'm not really sure whether I can sense whether what we saw on Saturday means that's going to continue or not. I think the biggest play he made in that game on Saturday is when he ran for 30-some yards in the scramble and you know put him into scoring position. And unfortunately for them, they kicked a field goal on that drive, which they have done with high frequency in the red zone this year. 
You mentioned, though, uh, the the weather, and while uh, the field had the nice heat underneath the pipes so that the grass wasn't frozen and they had all their jackets and the warming benches and the heaters on the sidelines, I did see that about 70 people needed to seek medical attention from the Kansas City Fire yeah. Department, and, like, uh, I believe 17 people were hospitalized as well uh, from all of the uh, events. So uh, it certainly was a very frigid night now calculating into the top four coldest ever playoff game. Yeah, as I mentioned last week when we knew the weather was going to be bad or you know close to what it turned out to be, basically the forecast was pretty much the same, same on Friday as it actually turned out to be on Saturday night. I've only been in cold weather like that one time, and that was not standing outside for you know three, four hours at a time. That was basically walking from my apartment complex or my building in Chicago to across the driveway to the to the actual garage. <laughs> and I remember, I'll never forget this, uh, this was in 1999. I just remember walking across the driveway and you know, I was, thought I was pretty well, you know, you know, layered up with clothing. And I thought my legs were just going to like fall off or break. I mean, it was, you know, just like a, you know, 30 second walk outside and it was just it was unbelievable i still remember that you know, vividly to this day uh yes those cold events they they don't leave you <laughs> no they do not so uh, that was that even for chicago that was eye-opening i mean oh my god you, you i watched i used to watch the weather channel so much when i lived in chicago i actually knew the anchors their names that's how often i watched the weather channel when i lived there but uh and you think you're prepared. Um, we can, you know, in most days, I would think I did a pretty good job of that, but not that day. <laughs> and I will say, uh, if you were one of the people that did not download Peacock and didn't watch the game, uh, maybe listen to it on Westwood One, uh, 23 million people on average tuned in to the, that game on Peacock Exclusive. So I would have to say, uh, if there's anything that the NFL does, it's not going backward, it's going forward. So with mm -hmm. that sort of success, I would have to think that uh, get used to more games behind paywalls in the future. Yeah, I listened to the game on Westwood One, uh, you know, Sirius XM version of uh, Westwood, the, the broadcast live. And then, you know, they actually replayed the game later on Saturday night, and I watched it then. Uh, and, uh, you know, God bless Ka Ka another Kaylee Hartung comment here. I mean, she had uh, she was layered up with clothing and uh, uh, the largest gloves of anybody I've ever seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> smart lady. I had heard that those gloves were making uh, a social media storm. <laughs> oh, I did not know that, but it, it would, they were amazing. Yeah, you know, it was very impressive. I mean, <laughs> it's my, she's a very small person. I've actually met her a couple of times when they were here for, uh, she was here for the uh, college football playoff a couple of times covering games. And uh, she's like not, uh, she's small, she's tiny. And her gloves were enormous. <laughs> so first thing that immediately stood out to me when they went to the, the field for the first report of that game. Back on track with the Chiefs here. We'll answer that KDOS1060.com poll question around 1230. Still plenty of time for you to cast your vote. Tossing it on over to X at KDOS AM 1060. Are the Steelers and Mike Tomlin doing the right thing by continuing for at least one more season? Uh, that seems to be the prevailing sentiment. Uh, and, of course, he had... A 
definitely, I know for sure, he had Cam Hayward support uh, in post-season uh, comments yesterday. Masses are on the yes side of things at 90% of the vote, no at 10%. Yeah, he told his team yesterday in a team meeting that he's coming back in 2024. Uh, that uh, doesn't seem to be a you know, disputed report. My guess, and this is strictly a guess, you know, he was obviously, I uh, forget the lady, I apologize, uh, the lady from ESPN that covers uh, the Steelers is the one that asked that question, which was a question that needed to be asked. Uh, it was a good question. It was, you was know, it he walked out. Yes, uh, yeah, Brooke Pryor. That's who it is. Yeah, thank you. She asked the question. Uh, he gave her a nasty look, quite frankly. I think it was more, if you watched it, it was more, uh, you know, it struck your attention more than actually if you heard it. Because if you heard it, you just heard the question and then silence because he was walking out of the room. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm guessing it's possible uh, This uh, these kind of things happen, that if a coach or a person is uh, you know, short with the media, uh, during a press conference setting, whether it's you know, probably just not sports, probably politics or whatever else, uh, they might, uh, after the fact, uh, a little while after the fact, say, man, I kind of screwed that up. And uh, I wonder, you know, she's the one that broke the story also yesterday that Tomlin you know, basically told his team in the team meeting that uh, you know, he was going to be back in 2024. It wouldn't shock me if Tomlin was actually the source of the story that he told the team. Now, it could be any of the players, too, but it wouldn't shock me if Tomlin was actually part of the actual information process there. Another question that we will answer around 1230. Plenty of time for you to cast your vote over on X at KDOS AM 1060. Your phone calls today will do it around 1130 and 1215. And the number to join 602-260-1060. I do want to point out Friday spread by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. We had ourselves a winner. Uh, we were on the Rams plus three for the weekend. And so we are now sitting at 13 and five on the season. Pretty good stuff as we have a few more weeks to go with the divisional round of the playoffs here this Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, I had an excellent weekend uh, as far as, you know, just uh, you know, games that we talked about on Friday. I gave either a lean or a side and uh, ended up going, uh, you know, four and zero uh, in those picks. You know, one of them was, you know, kind of a, a you know, I lost the, uh, as far as a lean, I had the Steelers and the points. Uh, but, you know, I had the uh, Rams to win the game, uh, but I had Rams plus the points. I actually had three and a half in the bet that we made early last week, last uh, Monday or Tuesday when the lines first came out or somewhere in that ballpark. I forget what day it was. Somewhere in there. Uh, and I, did, I did have a little money line on the Ra on the Rams, too. So, I, you know, basically, you know, broke even in that game as far as personal finances go. We have set the scene here with today's opening segment. Gone a little bit longer than normal, but that's okay. We'll take a break now, and on the other side, we'll come back and we'll step aside from football, talk some Phoenix Suns from last night, get into that just a little bit, uh, and then we'll get back into the football swing of things as we dive into the wildcard teams that were eliminated, uh, their seasons as a whole, and maybe what should happen or could happen moving forward for those teams. So we'll do that here in this hour. But Suns talk on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with 
the KDOS 1060 app. It is Wednesday. It is January 17th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060. It is Wednesday. It is January 17th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Morsolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today. Let's dive into the Phoenix Suns from last night. Started off similar issues. New night. The Suns found themselves down 12, entering the fourth. And it was actually worse than that, down 22 with 8-10 left to go. But the Suns ended on a 32-8 run and came from behind to beat the Sacramento Kings 119-117 to with 5-11 to play. Frank Vogel decided to go offense first. Eric Gordon, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Grayson Allen on the floor, KD playing the five, and they outscored the Kings with that lineup 23-5. to Some other notes, Grayson Allen led the way with 29 points and a franchise tying nine threes, and guess what? He tied uh, the franchise record with nine threes just 11 days ago. So uh, he's shooting the ball really well from behind the arc. Definitely been good there. He actually made a couple decent defensive plays in this game, too, which we've rarely seen uh, so far this year from him or anybody else for that matter. Uh, yeah, I would say that uh, you know, he just uh, basically Vogel you know, just get kind of uh, gave up trying to figure out how to slow down the Kings because they just weren't going to do it. Uh, you know, the, the first your basic 40 minutes of this game look like uh, many of the Suns games this year, especially against the elite opponents. They just weren't good. Uh, they got outscored, obviously. They got out-rebounded. They got out-hustled. They almost never get the 50-50 balls. So what the heck? He just, you know, Vogel, and I think his best coaching move of the season so far, but it was kind of a last resort to, you know, see what happens here. I don't. I mean, he might have... Uh, my thought process is that he might have been just thinking that, well, let's see how this goes for future games. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Durant, Booker, Beal, Allen, and Gordon thing worked out. And, uh, you know, that group, uh, they made seven out of the last eight field goal attempts from that group. And not surprising they would be uh, good offensively. But they also got some stops. Also, as I pointed out during the sports zone, it should be pointed out that this was the fifth consecutive road game uh, for the Kings. And I don't think there's any doubt that there was some fatigue involved here, but also think there's no doubt that uh, they were flustered by some of the things that the Suns did in that last eight minutes of the game. In all, Kevin Durant, 27 points. He was 7 of 16, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 blocks, 7 turnovers. Devin Booker, 16 points, 5 of 14, 4 rebounds, 11 assists. Bradley Beal, 13 points, 6 of 14, 3 rebounds, 5 assists. KD was asked uh, the question post game, how'd you win? And he said here, I have no clue. I usually know how <laughs> the game is flowing, but it felt like this was a blur. Uh, he also added here, 
quote, when you have momentum like that and can play a three or four minute stretch without too many subs or adjustments, we kind of blitz them there in the fourth for those minutes. And we were able to get the lead. If we pressure teams and don't get down early, we will see what team we are. Also, I think we got to start the games off even better than what they did. And our force needs to be better. Yeah, well, I believe they had the lead less than two minutes the entire game, actually. They led 3-2, to two, and then they led, uh, it was what, one, let me just double check here, 117-115 to 115 was their next lead. <laughs> so there's a whole lot of time in between there that they didn't. Just to, you know, how rare is this? It was the second time in 25 seasons that any NBA team overcame a deficit of at least 20 points in the last eight minutes. According to the Associated Press, NBA teams facing deficits of 22 or more in any fourth quarter uh, since August of 2020. Those teams are zero uh, before last night, zero and 1,224 losses. Zero oh. wins. <laughs> Impressive stuff there. Uh, you know, I know you kind of touched on this a little bit in the sports zone. You know, the prevailing thought here is can this be a turning point for the Suns in their se season? Seeing what's possible, maybe with going with that small lineup with KD at the five, maybe seeing what, uh, you know, that kind of just random little this is what we've been waiting for to energize our season. Could this potentially be that for the Suns? No. It can't. Uh, you know, I'm okay with that group at times uh, for stretches of games. But if you're going to try that group of five guys with hardly any size and length whatsoever, uh, they're going to get crushed uh, by teams that are better prepared for it. Or I shouldn't even say better prepared for it because I don't think the Kings were prepared. Why would they be prepared for that? That group had played like less than 10 minutes together the entire season. Uh, so... Yeah, they, there's no way that they knew that was coming. I don't think that Vogel knew it was coming. It was just a desperation move. But when teams have a, an idea and teams uh, – the Kings did not take advantage. They don't have a ton of size. Obviously, yes, you know, Sabonis is the guy, but he still likes to float around the perimeter as much as he does in the post. Uh, teams that they face that have a strong inside game, whether it be a large dude uh, with length in the post – or whether it be you know some uh, guards that can post up or perimeter players that are good at that. I think the Suns, if they try this lineup long-term for stretches of games, will be badly exploited on defense like they are almost every game. We've talked about this before. Uh, you know, the trade deadline coming up here in the first part of September or September, February. And, uh, you know, what this team needs in order to help push them over over the top here or to kind of reassemble the roster if you will but when you look at who's playing well and is potentially uh going to be a potential hot name at the trade deadline you'd have to think it would be Grayson Allen he's been the best Suns player in offseason acquisition so far he would probably command the most trade value but are the Suns in a position to really afford to trade him they're not um, and if I were, let, let, let me flip this. If I were a contending team looking to add somebody, or if I was, you know, if he gets traded, you would think it's going to be to a quote contending team. I can't imagine a team that's, uh, you know, not going to be a, a lottery team. I don't think a lottery team is going to trade for him. So that reduces the pool tremendously. And there's going to be some contending teams that the Suns just don't want to deal with. 
because uh, they think they are a contending team, which they are not, uh, at least as of right now. And they've shown no sign during this season that they're a contending team. And last night does not change my mind on that whatsoever. I, I do think that they deserve a whole lot of credit uh, for coming back and winning that game. And you know, once again, I'm going to point out that that was the fifth game in a five-game road trip. Uh, including a brutal and awful loss on Sunday night in Milwaukee in which the uh, Kings got completely screwed by the officials. The Suns, they'll play again Friday on the road at the Pelicans. And really, truthfully, the Suns needed last night's win in order to stay in that top eight positioning, if you will. So they need to keep winning games. Yeah, I don't really pay too much attention to the you know, conference standings at this point of the year. Maybe when we get to you know, maybe March, I'll definitely look at that a little closer. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. If I were a betting man, which I am, uh, certainly if I were looking to bet the game on Friday night in New Orleans, it would be Pelicans or nobody in that game for me. Assuming the Pelicans are healthy which is something that I've, I've used that sentence uh, for like three or four years running. And uh, you know, late last I heard or saw, and I haven't watched any Pelicans games from start to finish this year, a couple highlights here or there, or part of a game. Uh, but uh, the last I saw, they seemed to have their main dudes playing. Uh, so uh, you know, I would think that the Pelicans would actually be the wagering choice on Friday. It'd be interesting to see what the number in that game is too. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take your phone calls on the other side of the break. If you'd like to chime in about the Phoenix Suns NFL divisional card round, uh, wild card round as well, we're going to do a deep dive into the teams that were eliminated over a wild card weekend. We'll do that next here in the Extra Point. But if you'd like to uh, chime in, 602-260-1060 is the number. It is the Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060 online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app check out kdus am 1060 on 100.7 kslx hd2 that's right, HD Radio on 100.7, channel number two. Welcome back to The Extra Point, KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. That's right, KDOS 1060 app. Downloaded today, whether you're an iPhone or Android user, make sure you register and follow along with the listener reward opportunities for you. Few days remaining in the month of January. Uh, so make sure you register so we know who you are as a potential winner for sixth row hoops tickets to downtown Phoenix, food and drink included. That is the listener contest happening now with the KDOS 1060 app. Let's take a deep dive, though, into the wildcard teams that were eliminated, their seasons, uh, how they got to the wildcard round, and maybe what should happen or what could happen moving forward for each team. And we'll start with the Cleveland Browns here following their 45-14 to loss to the Texans. The Joe Flacco experiment, it came to a crashing halt. But we have to also remember what happened with the Browns this 
season, especially on offense. You had the serious injury to running back Nick Chubb. You had losing Deshaun Watson. In all, you used quarterbacks P.J. Walker, Dorian Thompson, Robinson, and Jeff Driscoll, along with Joe Flacco. You lost your left tackle in Jedrick Wills. You lost your right tackles, Jack Conklin and uh, Dwan Jones. So offensively, you were certainly not uh, uh, operating the way that you had expected to be operating. And then today you have it being reported by Ian Rappaport that running back coach Stump Mitchell is being fired. Tight end coach uh, T.C. McCartney is not being retained. And the last I had seen, no word yet on offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt. Everything is under evaluation with him yeah I don't know if Van Pelt uh, I don't know exactly what his role is but obviously this is a Stefanski offense that's his you know his baby his baby he calls the plays still and so forth all those things you pointed out about all the injuries 100% correct and Mari Cooper was in and out of the lineup a few times during the season too uh, because of injury and that's unfortunately been a lot of his career uh for cooper and uh can't imagine that's going to get any better as he gets even older so we'll see what happens with that but a couple things uh, they actually somehow made the playoffs uh be, they had the most giveaways they, they turned the ball over more than any team in the nfl any team let alone a playoff team in fact they were the first team to make the playoffs leading the league in te- in, uh, in turnovers since the Rams team, uh, a couple of the Rams teams actually did that in the early 2000s, but they were so explosive that they overcame a lot of those things. But uh, there's that, and we talked. I talked for weeks. And I think I jumped on this before a lot of people, so I'm going to you know, pat myself on the back here, even though physically that's really hard for me to do these days. But anyway, uh, the, this defense really wasn't very good on the road for a lot of the season. Uh, going all the way back to that Indianapolis game that they played, what was that, September, early October? Uh, and uh, their defensive numbers, we pointed out the, the difference between home and away. And, uh, yeah, they were awful on uh, on Sunday, and they got put in some uh, positions. Uh, the scheme for the Texans was excellent. But, uh, yeah, their defense uh, uh, was known for to be the you – know, you know, statistically speaking, if you combine home and away, uh, they were amongst the best in the league. But if you did the splits, they were terrible on the road. And obviously, they gave the ball away for a couple pick sixes on Sunday. But that game, in my mind, was already over at that point because the defense had failed miserably and they'd been exploited in the secondary. Yeah, so I guess for me... Um, initially seeing these moves on the offensive side of the ball and kind of seeing what they were able to overcome with all of the injuries that occurred, uh, is it a little bit surprising that these moves uh, took place here? Or maybe there's some philosophy differences that were ongoing throughout the season that we just weren't aware of. But I think from a performance standpoint, when you had such integral players have the serious injuries that they suffered, it, it, it was a little surprising for me to see that this morning. Okay, I think you made a good point once again about the injuries, but I wasn't surprised at all uh, because this is Stefanski's offense, and you know, no matter who's, who the assistant coaches are, this is his thing. So, uh, if he didn't think that guys, perform, you know, I have no way of knowing. Uh, even if I were in Cleveland watching every snap of every game, I'm not sure if I'd any way to know during the season whether there might be changes, but. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't think it's that surprising that a coach that is, you know, it's his offense. 
clearly his offense. I mean, Sean McVay has changed uh, you know, coaching you know, offensive coaches. Some of them have left to go their jobs, but because they you know, were promoted or whatever. But it, you know, he's he, they haven't had the same staff at all. I can't remember one year that they've had the same offensive staff either by his choice or by others just you know raiding his coaches. So I'm not surprised that there's been an offensive turnover in coaching here. I would be surprised if there were actually a defensive turnover in coaching uh, because, you know, Schwartz brought in a totally different system, brought in a totally different staff. And you know, even though I just went through the offensive and defense thing, uh, you know, certainly I would. I don't think this game on Saturday would have gone as badly as it did had Grant Delpit been able to play. Uh, they also lost you know, the starting cornerback, uh, Newsom from Northwestern, early in this game on Saturday. I don't think he ever came back into the game. I actually kind of uh, lost interest a little bit as far as a uh, play-by-play basis when there was a route in the second half. Uh, but, you know, those are two key players for their team. I know at least for a while both those guys were not playing. And Delpit obviously was inactive for the game. Yeah, and I think we had talked about it. Uh, you know, a lot during Friday spreads as well that the Browns' defense, home versus away, was uh, quite quite different. And so that is going to be an area that is going to definitely need to be addressed. And I know that injuries there probably played a little bit of a factor into it there, uh, but just so drastically different has to probably be discussed. Yeah, even though I don't think the injuries on defense really happened until late in the season. As I mentioned, it was early in the season when it was obvious that there was a big difference between home and away with that defense. When they were healthy, uh, there was a big difference home and away on that defense. Obviously at home, most teams defensively that are good, especially the really good teams, are going to be much better. They have the lead, the crowd's involved, etc. And they've got difference-making players on defense, obviously. And some of those difference-making players was, you know, Miles Garrett comes to mind with a lot of pass rushers. Uh, you need to have the lead for that guy to best you know, utilize his skills. Um, you know, sometimes when we finish the games, the, the team season comes to a conclusion and you say, oh, you know what, they're like one, two players away from this being a totally different situation or, wow, they completely maximized everything that they needed to to even get to this position. Does anything jump out to you about looking ahead to this Browns team next year immediately? I might say both of those things you just mentioned. Uh, the, the first up, Nick Chubb. I mean, when he went down, there was talk whether he'd be ready for the start of next season. So I think that's the first thing. You know, the running, running game was okay after he left. It wasn't spectacular or anywhere near what it was when Chubb was playing, obviously, in his heyday or his best years. But that offensive line, which also had some injuries this year, as you mentioned, not in their, actually their interior guys got hurt some during the season and missed some time too. But the, when healthy, that offensive line is one of the best in the NFL. So that's a really good starting point. What happens with Flacco uh, and Watson? Uh, you know, Watson's not going anywhere. they got to pay him forever. And it's you know, cap hits beyond belief. Uh, not just the salary. So we'll see what, uh, you know, I assume Flacco will be back and we'll see how that, uh, I don't even know if it's a competition. Uh, so uh, I think that's a big question there. I think defensively, uh, assuming that Delpit comes back and, you know, they have, uh, I'm not sure what their contractual situation is with some of these other guys, 
But clearly their defense was improved, but uh, they still need to get a little bit better. But uh, I think they're okay there. Yeah, their special teams had some serious issues this year. That's one thing that they've definitely got to clean up. I mean, they had, they, look, they had some bad, bad special teams plays that either put them in danger of losing games or, quite frankly, lost them games. Moving on to the Dolphins, they lost 26-7 to the Chiefs uh, in what is now the new top four coldest playoff game ever played. In the game, Tua was 20 of 39, 199 yards, one touchdown, one interception, two sacks. I want to start with the conversation surrounding the quarterback in Tua. Pulling up his stats in the games against the above 500 teams this season and maybe some of the more physical teams in the league, 31 to 17 loss to the Eagles. He was 23 of 32, 216 yards, one touchdown, one pick, three sacks. In a 22 to 20 win over the Cowboys, 24 of 37, 293 yards, one touchdown, one sack. 56 to 19 loss to uh, the Ravens, 22 of 38, 237 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, three sacks in that contest. And 21-14 loss to the Bills, 17 of 27, 173 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Do the Dolphins have a Tua problem? I think we can both agree that he's probably better than half the league, but maybe not good enough to take the team to the next step arm strength, weather gets colder, et cetera, or is it more of a coaching issue not adjusting the offense to opposing team defense get, defenses getting more physical and bumping them out of that rhythm that they play? Well, I think the physical thing, which I pointed out when they lost very early in the season against Buffalo, uh, that it was clear there at that point on both sides of the ball. This wasn't just an offensive thing, and they were healthy at that point on both sides of the ball that they're going to have problems against physical teams. And that clearly happened uh, throughout the, really, the entire season. And they've only beaten one team above 500 since September of 2022, as it turns out. Uh, they were 1-6 this season against teams with winning records. Uh, you know, Tyreek Hill, after the game, in the postgame, said that the organization can't continue to be frontrunners. I thought that, I don't know if he actually meant that word, but I think that's a very accurate term because uh, that's what they are and that's what they've been. So you know, assuming that maybe he was asked that question enough during the last few weeks that he just kind of latched onto that, or maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. Maybe I'm, he's just a you know, astute football observer, which is possible, and he came up with that himself. As far as Tua goes, you know, Chris Greer certainly going to disagree with what I say here, but – I don't actually don't think he's going to ever really do anything as far as a championship contender. I don't care what his supporting cast is. I don't care what the offensive line is. I don't care what the defense is. And, you know, the fact that they're in the AFC, at least as of right now, and I don't think this is going to change drastically in the next couple of years, is that the Bills and Chiefs are still going to be good teams. And, you know, they're – cold weather cities and at some point you probably unless you have a stupendous regular season and start beating teams above 500 you're going to be playing some cold weather games you might be playing a cold every other year they you play a cold weather game in buffalo that's the way the schedule works they flip that every year as far as your know, early season in miami or late season in buffalo la-di-da so we'll see we got two he grew up in hawaii played at alabama you know, seldom is there SEC weather games. Uh, plays his whole NFL home games so far in Miami. 
Uh, so it hasn't gone well when he's been in cold weather. We read those numbers last week. We read their numbers in cold weather last week, even before Tua got there. And uh, it's atrocious. Um, and they're going to have to make some roster moves. I'm not I'm not bashing the Mike McDaniel type of thing now. I think he's done a good job. They need to make some changes and moves. And to me, uh, I think if they're thinking really, really long term, that uh, Tua is not the quarterback that's going to a championship there. What do they need to do on defense? You know, they make the move to well, bring get in... healthy. I mean, I actually think they were good when they were healthy. I mean, they lost their top three pass rushers. They played that last game by the you know, by the end of the game. They actually started the game without two of their top four defensive backs. They ended the game without three of the top four defensive backs. Uh, I actually think they're pretty good on defense. I think they made major progress in that area this year with Fangio. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey will be playing, we assume, for the entire season. Knock on countertap that he's healthy next year. And he was certainly healthy by the end of this year. I think they're okay there. Uh, they you know, they could get uh, you know tougher at the line of scrimmage a little bit. They do have a couple of free agents in that free uh, up the uh, the front seven that are going to get a lot of attention league wide. But usually uh, teams that think that they're good, uh, they go out of their way to try to keep offensive and defensive line talent because that's a big part of how you can do in the postseason. So is there optimism here for the Dolphins, or does the quarterback situation loom large? Well, to me, there is, you know, it looms large. But it seems like everybody else in the, in, the, in the world seems to think that there's optimism for the Dolphins, and I don't quite buy that. But uh, I need to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Tua guy, never have been a Tua guy, at least in his NFL career. And the bigger thing to me, though, I think it's really now it's inarguable that they've got to figure out how they can beat the better teams. We'll continue on with the teams eliminated uh, in the wild card round on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. The next game we get into, maybe it was a bit of a surprise little bit of a surprise of how it all went down as well and could there be big moves on the horizon for the Dallas Cowboys we'll dive into that next here in the extra point on this Wednesday January 17th AM 1060 into your home with Alexa. Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open the KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. got to where they were expectations and what potentially is on the horizon for them now that they have entered the offseason it is the extra point here on kdos am 1060 wrapping up our number one 
Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. So the Packers, they took it to the Cowboys, 48-32. to The score much closer than the game really was. Dak Prescott, just a, a bit of a note here, is now 2-5 and five in his playoff career, which is tied for the lowest postseason quarterback win percentage at .286 in the Super Bowl error with a minimum of five starts. Prescott is tied with Alex Smith and Billy Kilmer. Since 2000, though, the Cowboys are 4-11 and 11 in the playoffs. So when we look at what happened here uh, to the offense that saw Dak have one of his best statistical seasons, 69.5% completion percentage, 4,516 yards, 36 touchdowns, just nine picks. CeeDee Lamb, breakout season for him, 135 catches, 1,749 yards. He had over 800 of those in the slot, 12 touchdowns. And then when you also look at the defense here, they held opponents to 37.44% completion percentage on third down, 187.4 yards through the air per game, passing by opposing quarterbacks. 46 sacks on the season ended up not being as many sacks as maybe we thought they were going to have, and they did allow 112.4 yards per game on the ground. Yeah, and that was obviously a big problem in this game on Sunday. I was going to go through several things and just kind of capitalize some of the things you mentioned there. Yeah, of course, they'd won 16 consecutive home games before that uh, contest on over the weekend. Uh, they were down by 32 points at one point in this game on Sunday. Down 32. Uh, you know, they, uh, you know, they had a, you know, it was only 16 points total through the third quarter. You mentioned, uh, you know, the playoff woes of late. I'll go even a little further. They're four and they're five and 13 now in their last 18 playoff games. I think there's questions here uh, in many ways. Uh, to me, uh, Dak and some other veteran players, and it's key to point out some other veteran players on this uh, roster. I wonder if they lacked uh, postseason DNA. Also, I think that Dan Quinn coached a horrible game, far more horrible than Mike McCarthy. And I'm uh, you know confused how he's got four coaching interviews here the next few days, apparently. Uh, but they played a basically dime defensive scheme uh, against against the Packers on Sunday and zone defense almost all season long. They played man to man defense, and needless to say, that was a complete you know change of uh, you know scheme that turned out to be a disaster pretty much from the very start of the game. Also, Stephon Gilmore. Uh, maybe playing injured was absolutely awful in this game. I think it's got to be maybe the worst game of his career. I haven't seen every snap he's ever taken, but certainly in a big setting, he was horrible. You can make a case he was the worst defender on the field in this game. Uh, maybe hurt. They remember he had the injury, the shoulder thing going on going into the game. They actually had a shoulder and a lower leg thing both, so I'm sure there was something up there. But he was really, really bad. But all season long, and really uh, multiple seasons now, they've had some problems stopping the run. And needless to say, after uh, you know, Jordan Love and the Packers established the passing game, it was Aaron Jones, and they never really did stop Aaron Jones. And this is just yet another example, the latest exhibit, I'm going to call it, go back to my watching Perry Mason or you know, lawyer shows and so forth. The latest exhibit of Micah Parsons is the most overrated player in the NFL, Something I've been saying for two or three years now. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, they seemed completely out coached. No adjustments from the regular season to the postseason on both sides of the ball here. But specifically, when you talked about Dan Quinn, it seems like a foregone conclusion that Dan Quinn uh, was going to be off to Seattle to be the next Seahawks head coach. But if you're a Seahawks fan, do you got to take a bit of a pause here and say, okay, there's some some precedent here. Uh, a 28-3 uh, loss in the Super Bowl. The last couple of seasons, and especially the lingering taste in your mouth about that defensive performance against the Packers, I know you can't really just isolate into like one game and you try not to just say like the recency bias factor, but should there be a bit of a pause? Well, the, the fascination in Seattle or the connection with Seattle at least was the fact that he was the defensive coordinator for the large chunk of the Legion of Boom years there. But that was Pete Carroll's defense, and that was Pete Carroll's picks. And you know, I know that he wasn't the general manager, etc., but he's the one to put that whole thing together as far as personnel and structure and scheme, etc. So maybe Quinn got too much credit then. Um, okay, and now for the other side of the equ- equation here, is Bill Belichick the answer that the Cowboys need? I don't know if he's the answer anywhere. Um, if he's making personnel decisions, he's not an answer anywhere. Well, I don't know if we'll have time to do it today. If not today, we will definitely do it tomorrow. Uh, Aaron Schatz of ESPN.com had put together uh, rankings of impact from rookies on the season and there was a particular team that finished last in terms of impact of rookies on the season and uh and so just kind of having that conversation about who's going to be making personnel decisions in Dallas moving forward uh it all could be quite interesting for what the Cowboys fans would like to see happen in uh, winning some playoff games and getting back to a Super Bowl. But we'll continue with the wildcard teams to get things started for hour number two in the extra point. It's here on KDOS AM 1060.